15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio-quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio-quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. This is part 1.5 of our profile series on Tom DeLong. Dan, welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. I, I realised in our last recording, which has gone out, we actually said kind of bon voyage and that was it. But I'm, I'm back today recording uh, with you for this. But when this goes out, you'll be away. Yeah, I so will be away. You yeah, said bye so. to the listeners, I suppose, last time. Yeah, but, I guess so. That's yeah. true. That's true. This will go out when you're in Colombia. So yeah, this will be like the middle of that week. You'll have been there a couple of days. So ah. I hope you're having a nice time and all that. And no one has your, <laughs> I your, hope new, so Mac, too, yeah. your new MacBook yet. Um, but listen, we said we were going to do a part 1.5 uh, because part one was focusing on Tom's background and the build up to his journey before to the Stars Academy, before we really knew about TTSA and what it was going to be about. Part two is going to be us looking at the, the build up to what, team a was meant to be uh, what team b ended up being that that launched the ttsa brand and we're going to look at the the initial stage and and the build and the characters behind ttsa and it'll probably go into a part three before we even get to discuss unidentified in the series and what came of of to the stars academy so we're not rushing this folks we've got plenty of time and there's a lot to digest as we go into it as well even as i start picking what i thought was going to be a very short section i start making lots of notes and <laughs> what what i love uh, part two we've got a, a comment from lou elizondo that he's, he's sent us over on um the new york times article that famously launched uh, and a part of that that when i was reading it i was like oh but i won't go into that just yet so um lots to look forward to and we're, that'll be out in a week or so as well so um yeah the, the dates and times really mean nothing right now because i'm talking <laughs> about these before shows that are already in the can haven't even been released yet but if you're on the patreon the apple premium the spotify premium or on youtube as a member you're going to get access to all this stuff early as well so thank you for supporting if not thank you for listening on the free feeds uh, listen to the adverts it's always a always helpful um, i want to start off by correcting um tom delong is not from poway 
California, San Diego. He's from Poway. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's right. Sam, who told me I butchered the pronunciation um, in a very nice way. He done that. And he was right, because I, I did. So it's not Poway, uh, San Diego. It's Poway, San Diego. And I await someone else getting back to me to tell me, actually, it's Poway. And I'm going to be like, oh, just he's from San Diego. That's that's good enough. Sopo. That's the sound. <laughs> yeah, Sopo. There you go. Um, so, yeah, that's for Sam. And listen, let's get into this listener's thoughts and uh, opinion section on on that part one that we've done. So, um, long-time supporter and big member of the Discord channel, which you get access to being part of Patreon and such, is Gnosis. And Gnosis said, straight off the bat, something we're going to kind of cover in more detail in part two, right at the beginning, to be honest, but we'll, we'll touch on it now. If Hillary Clinton had won the 2016 election and WikiLeaks had never leaked the Podesta, DeLong, McCasland emails, where do you think we would be in 2022? Um, he adds that for me, the most interesting aspect and difference is that the US Air Force have been silent since 2017, yet it was an Air Force general who was DeLong's primary contact to start a disclosure program. What do you think continued steering by McCausland might have looked like and would we know the name Louis Elizondo? So, Dan, uh, back to that initial, if Hillary Clinton won the 2016 election and WikiLeaks never leaked, where would we be? It was really interesting. I was listening to an old um, Coast to Coast interview. It was a couple of months ago now. And Coast to Coast, as people might know, do the the news sections beforehand. You know, there was a lot of political stuff going on at the time uh, with obviously Trump v. Clinton. And it was really interesting. I, I can't even remember the time frame. It was before the, obviously before the election. Um, and they were very much talking about how, you know, Clinton's going to be the next president. I think it was around the time Trump um, was about to be announced as the nominee for the Republican Party. But the the analyst they had on was very much talking along the lines of, it's more than likely Hillary Clinton will be the next president of the United States. And as we know, that's not what happened Um whether that's the Mandela effect, different timeline, who knows where we are. But we had uh, four years of President Trump. Um, which he played his part in, in a way towards the end in the in the field of UFOs. Um, and we'll get to that probably at some point. But yeah, Dan, Hillary Clinton, 2016, WikiLeaks, where would we be? Yeah, they. you're, you're right in saying that they kind of acted like they had that in the bag. Um, and, and, you know, this conversation could go a very different way if this was about politics and Bernie Sanders and what happened there. Um, but it, it's, you know, th- I think it's safe to say that had Hillary Clinton won the election, she would have gone on to openly be talking about UAP. This wasn't something she was compelled to talk about. She was explaining what UAP meant and trying to get that phrase or that acronym out there uh, before any of this big movement started happening. I think McCaslin wouldn't have, you know, supposedly cut off Tom or turned off the faucet, as the phrase he uses. Um, And we'd probably be... I want to say further along, but I also think we'd probably have a lot more entertainment to sift, to sift through from to the stars. Um, and that's what can frustrate people sometimes with that company is they don't know how, how to separate the fact and fiction in these books. Do you really think so? Devil's advocate here, Dan, okay, I'm going to try and sit on the fence. It's really easy for anyone to say that Hillary, as we know, and her husband and, and other presidents before her and anyone, you know, high ranking officials have had an interest in UFOs. And it's one thing to talk about it in the build up. And we don't know because it's hindsight. 
we can't say that it didn't have a negative impact on her winning the election because you know she didn't that the only thing we can go off of is facts and one she talked about ufos and two she didn't win the election um i'm not saying it was a big but you know to put it out there that that could potentially stop other people talking about it it's another thing though to say that just because she had an interest and would sit on you know chat shows and whatnot and and we can see these emails that went that were released through wikileaks that she did have that interest in the background and privately that she would have still pursued this had she got into office because again she wins the 2016 election sure covid's four years away so she doesn't have that to deal with but we don't know what else may or may not have come up within that time with a uh with a u.s government run and ran by hillary clinton and her party um famously she didn't get on very well with the russians what would that relationship have been like would that have taken priority as we sit on the brink of world war three yet again uh, here in 2022 but as is it too easy just to say yeah we would have been really far along because she would have done this is there not a good chance that she would have went in and it would have went the same way it went for bill very possibly um when when i think about what how far along she would be you know i I don't think she's putting craft on the white house floor and i think that it would kind of the rollout would look the same it just might be accelerated um but looking at how Biden responded in the White House press room compared to how confidently Hillary spoke about it when she was on the late night talk show. You're, you're right that it's a different audience and it's a different uh, you know, room to speak to um, and a different level of gravitas based on you know those two rooms as well. Um, but I, I think she would have been more friendly to the subject, you, you know? How does that affect? And and one of the questions Gnosis asks there is, would we know the name Lou Elizondo? Now, at that time, Lou Elizondo was locked away in his office from 2012 to 2017. He would have then had that year where he would have been working in his role with that administration in charge. How do you think that may or may not have affected Lou and his role in in what happened? Well, Lou... I guess from from the semi van interview that happened only a few days ago, we know now that uh, you know Lou was kind of found and connected uh, way way after these points. So when when I kind of you know use the tongue in cheek plan uh, plan B phrase, uh, it's just a plan that came together once the first one fell apart, um, and that that connection and the company was forged from one meeting around a table with several individuals uh, who we'll speak about because they were at the press launch too. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very different kind of plan and look to what would have come from a more established and a wider reaching, uh, organization. You would have to think if we, there's a chance that we don't know the name Luis Elizondo, um, maybe he stays in his job. Maybe he doesn't, a, a, a lot can change in a year, but I suppose even with him not being involved in team A, as we're going to call it, with, you know, DeLong, Podesta, uh, McCausland, Clinton, and the others that that were going to be involved in those initial discussions and WikiLeaks, Lou probably would have got involved at some point, wouldn't he? Even yeah. if it was, again, in the background, because he was still the guy running, yes. we'll just call it the UFO program, because, you yeah. know, that's what those guys were looking at. Um, so, yeah, he was still the guy in charge of that. So he would have had to have been part of those conversations. At least his door would have been knocked on. Yeah, and it absolutely. sounds like, as we know, Lou Elizondo now, he would have been 
he would have been happy to have had those conversations given he was only a year away from resigning in his post. Yeah, um, I, I guess when you think of it that way, one of the things would, that would likely be different is we would have been presented, Lou, by probably Hillary or her administration as the guy looking after the UFOs instead of having this back and forth with the DOD where they've got rid of his emails and everything like that. So it probably would have been a lot better in that way. So yeah, so interesting point, and that's what we're going to um, look at with the part two. We're going to kind of kick off with what what happened around WikiLeaks and why Team A and Team B. And listen, Team B was not secondary or you know a poor man's set of follow up by any choice, but it just it had to happen because of what happened, and we'll discuss that as part of part two. So thanks, great question. Yep, anything you'd add to that, Dan? Uh, no, I, I think we covered it there, right? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Um, next up, Josh. Josh, uh, actually, Josh, John, and Scott. People again will think I'm, I'm just making up these really common names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all had uh, very similar questions and points that they would all like to see comparisons of activity or conversations versus what was said by Tom DeLong in the early days as to what what his position is now that's something we will save for a, a final episode or a summary of, of everything we've done so we don't want to run across that just now because we'll start to go into um years well past what we're looking to do in part two so it's something we are definitely going to do so look out for that in the kind of final part or a summary episode of of the whole profile series so thank you for that is there is there anything, Dan, if I could put you on the spot, though, that springs to mind that from from those early days of Tom and his comments and those interviews that maybe has changed for you massively? Yeah, uh, it would be the Greek God stuff for me. Uh, that That's kind of dropped out of what he talks about. It's more consciousness and source and things like that. Uh, and I don't know if that's what the book War is going to uh, revolve around, um, but I, I would guess it's that subject. I mean, it's taken ages, so I, I assume it's it's just a bit of a touchy one, you know? What, why do you think that did drop out? Is that one of those things? As we're going to get to talking about, Tom uh, had his wings clipped, as, as many people refer to it, after after a couple of interviews, let alone is it the one of the big ones where he came off particularly conspiratorial and a bit all over the place and people questioned was he on drugs and but but she wasn't it was just he was just so hyper and excited and just kind of spewing all this information out there do you think at that point when he had his, his wings clipped he chose to to cut back on some of these statements because they potentially weren't true or he just couldn't keep going at that 100 miles an hour that he was doing I think he just he had a lot of knowledge to share and he it's it's like feeding an animal just too fast right uh that you, you kind of choke on things and you can't fully explain things um and I think that was what contributed to him kind of falling over himself on, on Joe Rogan uh instead of just slowing down and getting a lot more focused in his conversations um and yeah the phrase the phrase clipped his wings was was definitely thrown around but i i think it was probably uh, a kind of hey tom you know focus up let's go a bit slower and more intentional rolled up newspaper straight to the nose for tom DeLong. that's what happened <laughs> bad tom bad tom um but yeah thanks for that gents look out for that in the final uh series episode of the series and that'll be a maybe a month or so away probably um Taryn, uh, great name like to have one that's not really common um you should definitely mention how greer and DeLong first met and the story behind greer giving him the disclosure tapes we did touch on that in the initial uh part one 
which was the interview we shared. We recommended people go and check out between James Iandoli. Not an interview, um, but James Iandoli put together a nice package presenting yeah, yeah. that that story, and that was part of it as well. So please check that out uh, in part one. The link is in the description. But Dan, you wanted to add something we forgot to mention as part oh, of yeah. that story. Uh, j- just that um, to, to emphasize that Tom was one of the very first, if not the first person that Greer trusted with all those uh, testimony tapes. And he, he speaks about in various clips how, how nervous he was even having them in his house, thinking that, you know, people were going to show up and kick his door down. Uh, so, yeah, I just thought I would add that in because it, it speaks to the relationship between Tom and Greer at one point. Yeah, and that is important. And I suppose that maybe, and we'll get to one of Dave Smethers' questions later on, where he talks about Tom DeLong's influence and his his kind of formative years when it it pertains to ufos and maybe that gives you a taste of where tom came from and his journey through ufos and what he does and doesn't believe and why he believed what he believed at the time so yeah it's it's definitely important and one you can't you can't leave out in the whole story and that's what we're trying to cover as best we can in this series um also taryn i think uh, asked a really pertinent question and this is definitely one for you dan um, if you can try to state how much of an impact Blink One Eighty Two had on the whole, on the following generation of musicians and on the entire pop punk genre and whole, huge impact on a wide range of genres. Tom was part of trying to get away from the childish aspects of Blink One Eighty Two and trying to use their platform to promote more serious subject matters. Thus, him leaving the band to start Angels and Airwaves. Um, what do you think, Dan? I know you actually. Um, done a little bit of editing to that question because uh, as for the background he didn't leave the band to start angels and Airwaves, did he uh well to start both car racer um it was just kind of a side project he did while he was in a hospital bed recovering from surgery um and yeah it kind of apparently came to him written on an acoustic guitar travis was roped in to do drums because they just make sense they were friends um and that was where mark kind of felt left out and that was the start of the the kind of schism in the band so to speak but taryn is absolutely right like blink blink were so influential to so many bands a little while back about a week or so there was a a gig poster going around called when we were young and it's it's this big festival in america that's kind of all of those bands that we grew up with you know caramel people like that um and the first thing that struck me about it is that pretty much none of those bands would exist if Blink-182 didn't exist. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine Paramore accepting second place on the bill because Blink-182 are headlining or something like that. So there were these huge generational pushes into kind of angst and expressing these things. And one, one of the things that attracted me to Blink was the kind of fact that all of these incredible artists were around. You know, I grew up listening to, you know, my, my parents gave me Meatloaf and bands like that. Um and it, all very accomplished musicians. And then along come these three snotty kids from San Diego that prove that you can just do this in a garage with your mates. And that really appealed to me. And that's what I ended up doing. And every ever since then, I, I followed that. And that attitude, I think, of, you know, I know we're not professional, but screw it, let's go for it anyway and kick in a few doors and see what happens, is what kind of led Tom to, to start knocking on doors to get the UFO subject moving. Um, Blink were an enormous band, by the time Tom left. Uh, and he then went into doing uh, a movie called, I don't know if you've seen Love. No, is that a kind of art, art kind of project? Yeah. Movie? Uh, very much kind of w- was the the reason that Angels on the Airwaves existed was to create these art projects that had not just music, but also comic books and movies and things like that to kind of augment and explore the subjects. And, and Love was this 
film made by uh i forgot this gentleman's first name but uh his surname was eubank william eubank i think he he made underwater as well and he's gone on to have a great film career now but he started there with tom so i'd recommend people go watch that because you'll kind of get tom's lovey-dovey side you, you know the statement that love's gonna save us all and that kind of stuff uh, are captured very much in that film and with with angels and airwaves essentially come tom's understanding of how he could use the platform he built to make essentially i'm going to be crude dick jokes uh for actually changing the world and helping people live better lives whether you agree with tom or not and how he's done that i i think that's a very noble cause uh to to turn the essentially capitalist machine to to a good cause yeah they certainly stood out at the time and i remember being being a kid and seeing all the small things what's my age again and uh all the small things taking the mick and you know being if, if you don't understand taking the mick you know have, making fun of making fun at whatever the phrase might be where you live uh, bands like the backstreet boys and britney spears and yeah those kind right. of pop bands and they, they I, would I remember just mark laying apart. in a field you know kind of with a shirt unbuttoned yeah uh, with with a dandelion that she then uh, yeah <laughs> they're making of fun of all those tro- jokes yeah all those tropes wasn't it they were so used to in music videos and you know all oh, these guys are really funny and they don't take themselves seriously but yeah there was a there's a blink one eight two sound to a song and usually it's that high doodle 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 you hear that guitar and it kicks in and travis yeah. barker's drums are very unique and they definitely it had had a distinctive sound like one of my favorite bands is oasis my favorite band is oasis and a very distinctive guitar sound they've got a very distinctive you know lead singer and you just know when it's one of their songs um for me that blink 182 i never followed after after tom left i'm a fan of those kind of big albums and the tom mark and travis show was a staple of my youth so i suppose that's something that to the stars and tom's journey really appealed to me long before i even had grand ideas like starting a podcast on ufos um uh, because... a, lot, a lot of sorry go on no no i was just gonna say because he was part of my youth like that it was like one of your heroes you know going off and doing something so different but radically radically different to what you would expect them to do and they're all of a sudden in this really intense situation with these really dangerous people and you know dangerous scenarios and situations and yeah and a question I'm going to ask you in part two is, you know, did Tom DeLong change the world? And you don't answer that yet, but you know, there's an argument for that and against that, I'm sure. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really good question to consider. Uh, the the Angels and Airwaves stuff. The first album was written. A lot of it was written for Blink, and and the the Blink fans out there are probably screaming at me to explain that Tom was very much the kind of the creative engine in Blink that kept pushing them into the new genre. So when you hear that shift from all the small things to say together for the kids, that's mostly Tom kind of, you know, getting a bit bored and, and trying to push the band sound a bit. So One of even my though, favorite Blink songs. Well, they, they have, you're, you're right that they have a recognizable sound, but I just wanted to point out it didn't mean that they didn't evolve, you know? Yeah. Um, they, they started as a pop punk band and I, I'd argue they finished as just a rock band. Um, yeah. And, and then, and when I say finished, I mean, you know, when Tom swapped out with Matt Skiba, who does a great job, but you know, the fact that you can look at those albums now and see that songs are written by 17 different songwriters instead of those three kids in the garage explains exactly why that appeal is just now. Yeah. Listen, you can still go and see Queen, but it's not Freddie Mercury singing the songs as great as Adam Lambert is. And, you know, 
others who may have, have stepped in at times, it's not Freddie Mercury. So yeah, yeah. like you say, Blink is Tom, Mark and Travis. That's the band. Um, uh, and, and Travis isn't even the original drummer as well. There was a, no, a, a yeah. chap called um, Scott Rayner, um, who the song Man Overboard is supposedly about. Um, and, and Scott actually, he, he had troubles with, um, or the rumor was he had troubles with addictions, but he actually works with charities now and he teaches kids to drum and kind of helps a lot of people. So it, it's really sweet that he, he didn't go down that you know road of big fame because he's he's found a way to, to change the world in his own little way, even not being near you know, that, big, that big band machine. Yeah, we won't get too much more into the music side of things and we'll move on. But that was that was pertinent. I thought it was a good question to ask as well. And, and Dan is certainly the man to break that down for you. Can, can I just ask one thing for, for the listeners? Any Blink fans out there? Um, let me know what post, you, you know, the Matt Skiba songs, which one of those you'd like to hear Tom's version of. Good question. I think that'd be interesting. I am delighted to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, VinoVest. As you all know, I've got a young family and I'm always looking at ways I can save and invest for the future. Fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. The problem? Historically, it's been reserved for the ultra-wealthy. VinoVest is changing that. VinoVest is a platform allowing investors to own 100% of their portfolio and easily buy, sell or drink from their collection of fine wines. After missing out on all those next big things to invest in, I'm always looking for what is the next big player in the industry. I was amazed at how easy it was to get started in diversifying your investment portfolio. Wine has one third the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualised returns, proving that the returns can be as robust as your favourite red. VinoVest makes it easy to acquire new investments, equipped with a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. You own the wines in your portfolio outright. You can buy, sell and even drink them whenever you want. Enjoy historical returns, direct ownership of world-class wines, portfolio diversity and robust recession resistance. Go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod zero. That's the number zero. The link is also in the description to receive two months of fee-free investing. That's two months of fee-free investing. It's time to start investing with VinoVest today. Uh, Brandon got in touch and said, I'd like to know, um, if Tom has a central point of contact for scientists to collaborate research through. I'm a member of the Institute of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, SCU, is something we've talked about at times on the podcast. And as most of his projects have resulted in a slash and burn of the prior entities, such as to the Stars Academy, it makes reaching out to the scientists he's worked with almost impossible, as they are disbanded almost immediately after going public. That's not 100% true, is it? But you know, TTSA was around for a while and I suppose there's been more movement on that but yeah, a, a I get few what years. Brandon and, yeah. and they were like you know I, I would talk to customer service there and, and the, the publicist specifically was kind of hard to get in touch with so I'm not sure what was happening there I think Brandon has a, a good point so far yeah and, and there's a frustration Brandon goes on to say I hear time after time why won't mainstream science look at the phenomenon the answer is some of us myself included are trying very hard to do just that but getting a hold of any of the figures begging for scientists to contact them has primarily, primarily resulted in silence or shuttered organisations and that speaks to what you said there Dan um, so if you would like if you would please be so kind in your episode make it very clear that if someone wants to ask scientists to take a look they need to give us contact information 
information they will actually respond to. Otherwise, it's extremely unprofessional of them to say we're ignoring the subject matter. And yeah, that that's fair if that if that yeah. is out there. Um, I even mean, I was going to say, he's contactable, right? He, you know, he he's fairly yeah. active in the media. He'll go on and anyone that wants to talk to him he he loves the to, to feed that curiosity um it would be nice to be able to say the same was true with ttsa but I, I don't think it is yeah and i would say that to brandon that you know reach out to an avi Loeb because look at the the growing roster of the galileo project and reach out to uapx who again are, are doing the work they're doing and we're waiting with bated breath to see the results that we're hoping to get by april um, hopefully from UAPX as well. So Gary Verhees and co. And there are some people that are very, very much open to the subject. But yeah, I, I can appreciate and I suppose we can be guilty that uh, of that as well, Dan, when we use that blanket statement that, you know, mainstream scientists needs mainstream science needs to get involved. Actually, mainstream science is now involved. We just want yeah. more of it to be involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a very true statement. We we should uh, put that on a banner. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get it on one of your t-shirts. Next up, Dave Smethers. Dave, you will appreciate, as you always tell me to, edit your question a little bit. Dan's done that, by the way, so you can drop Dan a message privately. You'll know the stuff he's cut out. Dan's going to laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing to note is that Tom DeLong built up a personal knowledge of ufology, a la Linda Moulton Howe, and obviously we touched on the, the Dr. Stephen Greer stuff as well, which he added to information he got from briefings, which is why it's hard to sort out the truth from the fiction with Tom. So basically, uh, uh, Dave said he finds Tom DeLong interesting as he thinks he holds a lot of core secrets, but they are contaminated. And I think we touched along those lines, didn't we, Dan, in in part one? Yeah, I like the The phrasing there, though. Yeah, the, the most important thing he has said is that there are some dreadful reasons why we haven't been told the truth. He alluded to this on the Jimmy Church round of interviews and was told to shut up and has not mentioned it since. That would be a key focus for Dave. Again, I suppose that touches Dan, doesn't it, on having his wings clipped? Uh, and basically being told off for how much he was saying. How how much do you buy into that, that it was because of statements like the, the dreadful reasons? And I suppose you could link in the kind of somber aspect of it as people always jump on with Lou. Well, that that's a very apt comparison, I think. You, you know, talking about how things kept him up night and scared him for three days versus Lou just kind of explaining that it's going to be a very somber moment for us. Uh, two, two very different flavors of responses. Um and yeah, I think it speaks to why Tom was probably told to chill out because you, you know, you're just going to make everyone panic by saying that kind of stuff, you know. And and now even when he tells that story, he goes into how his mother deals with uh, religion and what she would see in in this uncertainty of reality. And he he tells it in a much more hopeful way these days than he did back then. And I think yeah, if if you're trying to get people curious about the subject, scaring them isn't the way to do it. It reminds me a little bit of where we're at in the last couple of months, and I've said the term cataclysm keeps getting brought up um, by various personalities, you know, Frank Milburn, Michael Masters, Ross Coulthard, John Ramirez, all in the last couple of months. We interviewed all of them on this podcast, um, but on other podcasts as well, they talk about these cataclysms. And just just today, one of the listeners on, on YouTube made a comment that they find it quite scary that so many people are bringing up this talk about potential future cataclysms and, you know, is there a, a timeline in the next few years where something really bad could happen? I mean, there's a good chance that these people are all talking to the same person and in what they're saying, this one person is putting out something that they've heard or it's a rumour or they're not sure of or just from whatever they're talking about, it's it's getting thrown out there. Could Could that also be the same person or persons that go back to when Tom is finding out this information? 
yeah, perhaps. It's really hard to know. Um, but to, to the catechism stuff, I would say that it, it is scary. But the reality of the world is that, you know, we could be hit by a meteor, like the Tunguska uh, air, air explosion event, well, supposedly. Um, and if that happened over New York, you know, the whole city would be gone. It would just be gone. Um, anything bigger, you know, could wipe out everything. Um, so, and there are all these, you know, a micro black hole could pull the planet apart and we, we can't live life panicking about these things. So I just say that even though, uh, cataclysms are being spoken about a lot, there's no hard date. You could, you know, get by a car walking out your front door tomorrow. Try not to panic too much. Uh, it's curiosity and think of it this way. If there is a cataclysm coming, it's better to know about it so we can protect ourselves. You know, we'll, we'll train up Bruce Willis and send him up to drill whatever it is that's coming. And that's Dan's moment of saying, well, we'll probably all die in some horrendous, horrific way, but don't worry about it too much. Yeah, not Bruce before Willis Dan's been to Columbia. Yeah, Bruce Willis <laughs> has got it covered, folks. But yeah, that, that is that thing. And again, the, the cataclysm story is one that always comes up and is there through every major religion and is there through every, you know, famous, you know, uh, Oh God, what's the word? Nostradamus philosopher? No, prophecy. Prof, pro, yeah, prophecy advocate. All you know, people who make these predictions—they're always there. They always come. They always go. But again, interpretations are there to be just that interpreted. And you know, the ending of one thing can be the beginning of another. You know, the mind calendar finished, but it recycles and restarts, and birth and life and all that kind of all that good stuff. So for me. It's one of those things that's great. They keep coming and going because we don't want to be talking about, you know, that cataclysm that happened, Dan. That was pretty shocking, eh? Because, you know, that's that's not what we want to be doing. Um, if we do have another race of beings that are helping out in that, just on that, folks, I went to see Moonfall last night, the movie. And <laughs> if, I, if you can't see this, if you're not watching the YouTube, I'd recommend you jump on just so you can see Andy's head shake on his side then. <laughs> I, I, I'm and I'm not saying it's bad and I'm not saying it's good. Uh, I, I'm really confused with it. I really want to talk about it on the podcast because there's some really interesting ideas. And if you've seen it, you'll know why. If you've seen the trailer, you'll you'll get the point. But when it goes into those details, it was quite interesting. But there's like ropey CGI that it gets stuck between being Shaun of the Dead meets Independence Day, but the the worst of both, not the best of both. Sure. Um, and I keep waiting on it, deciding on is it a parody comedy of a disaster flick but i don't think it is and and yeah um but yeah anyway it's it talks about you know beings and cataclysms not to give anything away and it's got some really interesting theories and again that's the one to talk about on the podcast down the line probably but yeah so for me the come and go it never happens which is a good thing what can you say on it, Dan, other than, you know, it's a really easy one for us to come on and go, we've got a source that's told us there's going to be a cataclysm potentially in the next five years that we hope some um, some other entities, you know, divert this from happening, stop it from happening. Five years comes and goes, and yep, Dan, yeah, those, those entities helped out. Yeah. Plus, you know, we kind of have cataclysm going on now with global warming and all of the natural weather disasters that are happening and, you know, so on and so forth. The, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and the more we learn about the system of planet Earth, the more we're going to start understanding that we've damaged it like crazy and we're going to have to adapt with it. Um, so if you ask some people, we are in a catastrophe now. So it's all, you know, a matter of perspective. One man's prophecy is another man's fiction. 
hundred percent. Um so yeah, but no, appreciate that. Thank you. Good um good shout, good question. Um the next up was Jessica. Uh, greetings, Andy and Dan. I've cut out Jessica's really nice comments about the podcast because that's what we do, Dan. In the comments section on Reddit, someone mentions that Tom believes in an underground pyramid somewhere that is suppressing human consciousness. I haven't been able to track down an interview of him mentioning this, but was wondering if there was any truth to him saying that. It wouldn't really surprise me, just curious. I would also like to hear more uh, pieced together version of his theory. The phenomenon could be parasitic entities. I've I've heard that interview as well, Dan. Do you know off the top of your head which one it was? I do. Um, oh, Miss Salon goes to Washington. Uh, that's what's popped up for me. Um, oh, Spruity.com. Here we go. Tom DeLong just announced there's a huge underground pyramid beneath Alaska that's key to this. Um, he he did he did nothing of the sort. They, this is exactly what you spoke about when, uh, or what Dave spoke about when he referenced uh, Linda Moulton Howe. Uh, this is from Linda Moulton Howe. He's repeating something intriguing to get people intrigued, but I I don't think he has to do things like this. Um, when when you look it up, you find that basically there's a giant mountain in uh, Alaska that, oh sorry, the, <laughs> Antarctica uh, that. Oh no, Alaska. Ignore me. I did get it right. Are you sure, no, are you sure it's Alaska? Antarctica is the one that's buried. Alaska, it's it's. I mean, in front Alaska of me. as well. I was going to reference. So, can you remember the alien face that people found on Google that was in the ice and the snow? Uh, it's kind of that situation again. When you look at it from certain angles, it looks like a pyramid. Other angles, it does not. Uh, some people think that it's this. There's this thing underneath it that's suppressing human consciousness and stopping us advancing. Uh, but they never define exactly what they mean by those things. Um, so, you know, if anyone has any more information on this. Let us know. But as far as I can see, it just seems to be a story. And it's one of those ideas that isn't new. It wasn't brought up by Tom and it's been around for a long time. And I'm sure if you go back and watch old versions of Star Trek from the 60s, you will see parasitic entities and, you know, Star Trek Next Generation, Star Wars fan fiction probably in there somewhere. You know, it's it's not a new idea. Um, the, but yeah. the the parasitic stuff, uh, it's kind of separate to, to that. Um, really because tom's referring to negative entities that feed off negative emotions and yeah. are kind of made of energy and not meat suits like us um that kind of crosses over with a lot of esoteric stuff like crowley and things like that so if anyone's interested in that area i'd recommend go down that rabbit hole and you'll you'll find a, a bit that's familiar and it's the same as you know we, we heard tom talk about love and how powerful love is as an emotion um, and he's not the first person to do that but you know these entities feed on fear you know uniting the planet and being one would be such a powerful tool that was something that was said in a lot of those interviews again around those those early days as well it's, it's uh, a strange thing for a creative individual to say that a hive mind would be better i think that that's weird yeah um again this is where like dave and others have said tom's opinion is made up of a whole load of i think i i said i can't remember the interview was it with kurt jay mungle about tom's a guy with a 1000 piece jigsaw that's and right and he's got half the pieces and the picture he's got makes a little bit of sense but he's not got all the you know all those bits to fill in and can't see the full picture and he fills in the blanks himself and in creative ways i think at times just depending on what what he has and hasn't heard so uh but yeah I, again i'm not using the word lying there because that's not what i think so yeah creative soul creative personality he's always going to have that that tendency 
Uh, next up, Machine Secret got in touch. Thanks for sending over that uh, Tom DeLong AMA. That was interesting to read through. Uh, Machine Secret did say, though, at one point within the AMA, Tom mentions a site called Ramsite as a location of recovered craft material. Not found anything on this site. Any ideas? Um, the short answer to that is no. I looked it up and I was asking Dan before we recorded as well if he had could find anything. And again, Dan, drawing a total blank on that, aren't Neither. we? No, um, it will be added to the list of questions for when we next speak to Lou or someone like John Ramirez or, you know, someone that works on the inside that might have heard that name. Um, or if you are one of the listeners out there who knows oh, that, maybe yeah. you work maybe you work there maybe you work there now and are listening to this podcast as you work on reverse engineering some tech um, but if it's something you're aware of or you can point us in the direction of some interviews or even articles that would be great send over but um, my my googling is coming up with nada nothing zip and to finish up um, we had k kai c-a-e uh, again you can correct me on that one. I'm more than happy. Um, during an interview, Tom mentioned that one of the most significant UFO encounters he is aware of happened during the Starfish Prime high-altitude nuclear test in 1962. If I recall correctly, Tom suggested the explosion may have taken down a UAP. Do you have any details on this? Yes. So initially, Starfish Prime, uh, and this is from a, a website that's not very well known called Wikipedia. Starfish Prime <laughs> is... Um, and I've still never donated. I really should. Um, Starfish Prime is uh, part of a Project Fishbowl or Operation Fishbowl, um, which was going to be five high altitude slash in space nuclear tests, explosions in space. And um, the first one didn't go ahead, or it did, but it had to be aborted and blown up and destroyed during launch due to issues. Um, this uh, Starfish Prime was the second, and essentially the the blast and at altitude could be seen in hawaii 900 miles away through cloud cover there are some pictures online of that and the the idea was that there's many different rumors and everything like that that goes along with it including the ufo stuff but it was to look at the ways to combat intercon icbm missile launches from the soviet union stuff like that um but inadvertently from a ufo point of view apparently a story goes that it knocked a uap out of out of orbit out of the atmosphere whatever it may have been um not deliberately but from that this is where emps as dan's notes have got here as well uh, we learned that emps have an effect on you you know uaps emps uaps yep uh, and the others so dan thoughts on that yeah, uh, it, it's a story that's gone around a lot. Um, credit to Red uh, Panda Koala. It, it was in his video, otherwise I would have forgot to make notes on it. Um, wait, actually, we'll, we'll pop his videos in the description because he he did a lot of legwork and was a great reference for a lot of what uh, I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, uh, apparently it was the first time that we knocked a UAP down um, and it perhaps led to how we chose to position nuclear assets around the world. Again, it's kind of, you know, we, we have evidence that this happened. We don't necessarily have evidence of the UAP stuff. Um, the records show that there was a satellite knockdown during the launch, uh, which was said to be a British satellite. But again, you know, we, we just we just don't know. It's kind of a choose your own adventure type thing. Yeah, pretty interesting. And again, it's it's just that it's a story. Our friend Sean Cahill, famously in our um, Room One Hundred One special, talked about sticking anything with one source in the nice 
but no thanks category because it's just got that one source and this is one of those things where it is just just a story there's no hard and fast evidence on it but it's it's not totally out with the realms of possibility that one of these you know experiments did inadvertently show us like like the discovery of you know penicillin that oh actually we were trying this but this happened off the back of it and this thing crashed because we blew this up and the the emp the blast was actually much more powerful than they expected so it it caused burglar alarms and there's a scottish word for you burglar burglar yep it caused those (laughs) alarms to go off um again in places almost over a thousand miles away and shook homes and all that kind of stuff as well so um they learned a lot and maybe on that day if anyone wants to uh, Google it, check out Starfish Prime, Operation Starfish Prime, Project Starfish Prime, um, and you'll you'll find info on that as well. Uh, Dan, anything to add to, to this part 1.5 before we wrap up? No, I think that's, I mean, we've covered the listener questions. Thank you so much for sending all these in, by the way. It, it's great. Uh, it, there's so much to cover there. It helps us remember some of the finer points. Yeah, and as we do this, we are going to wrap up right now, and we are going to go straight into recording part two, uh, which we're looking forward to. There's probably going to be four, maybe five parts to this whole whole series as we go along. But we want to be doing a part 2.5 and 3.5 to get listener points, listener questions, listener thoughts in. So anything you have, ideally, please email me over, ufouapam at gmail.com, and we'll add those in for a part 2.5. And once you've heard part two as well, you can stick in any questions or thoughts. And if we get anything wrong, please correct us in there as well but dan tends to correct me when i get stuff wrong so you don't have to do that <laughs> not always i didn't correct power and and i kind of knew about that it just wasn't a big deal P-O-Y-A. Oh, I thought so, but you yeah. know it's relative to the resident it was a big deal so i'm glad we got to it it was like glasgow whenever the americans say glasgow <laughs> yeah. but yeah that's us folks pleasure to have done part 1.5 dan thank you if you want to check out part two early ad free all that good stuff and support the podcast as well sign up to patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast check out apple there's still that two-week free trial for the apple subscription it's like less than the price of a starbucks coffee you can buy like three starbucks coffees for the price you can support this podcast and um, same with spotify premium search that ufo podcast premium on spotify it's a separate feed and also you can check out the youtube channel and you can sign up to be a member where you get access to the videos early and ad free as well cool dan will be quite a bunch of stuff up there as well for the early access um just because we're prepping before i i go away um so yeah there's a bunch of things so yeah have a gander if you fancy it yeah let's get into part two dan thanks for listening folks that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit.
can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. back nearly kissed myself and I climbed out the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I helped out my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems and they think I should seek therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. Team USA go for the gold. You want faster than a gig power every device and watch every wow-worthy moment kind of internet. So get Wi-Fi speeds faster than a gig or start with Xfinity Internet for $25 a month for 12 months with a one-year contract. Offer ends February 20th. Switch today. Requires paperless billing and auto pay with stored bank account. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. New Xfinity Connect 50 megabit per second internet customers only. Equipment taxes and fees extra and subject to change. After one year, regular rates apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gigabit internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. 